invite our kids. You are dismissed. If you'd like to go downstairs, you can find Miss Molly in the, in the back. It's, I mean, truly amazing to just watch the mass exodus of kids every week. I don't know if that, I mean, it's sometimes mind-blowing. Um, did, you know, as we uh, watch these baptisms, I don't know if it made you think. Um, it, it makes me think, uh, especially, I mean, they're, they're all so special. I mean, every single one. Um, powerful and, and amazing to hear their stories, um, but the one, and I don't know if Drew Drew didn't make it back yet. He's still blow drying his hair. Oh, he went down with the kids. Okay. Um, so you can tell him later. But the uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about this morning was something along the lines of his story, which is. You know, as a, uh, a person that grows up in a church, um, and, and how many of you went to church pretty much all your life, raised in the church? That's a lot of hands. I know that's not everybody. There's, there's some people that uh, weren't raised in the church and, and uh, found the Lord later in life. But a lot of us were raised in the church. I, I had a similar experience to, to Drew, uh, born and raised in the church. I don't remember a... Sunday that I wasn't in church growing up. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying we weren't uh, at some point, but I don't remember one Sunday that I wasn't in a church somewhere. And mostly, usually, um, when uh, my dad was preaching. Um, but for 18 years, somehow or other, um, I did not personally know the Lord. I was not saved. It wasn't until I left my home, my church home um, and went to college that I became a born-again believer. And, you know, one of the things about that is that we have um, the gospel. I mean, and, and I heard the gospel growing up. It's not like they didn't preach that we needed to, to believe in Jesus. Um, and, and I know that we preach that here. And it, it would be it would be a very strange and rare occasion that we would go a Sunday without having made sure that people understand that they need Jesus to be saved. Would you agree? And I, but I know that even though that the gospel is being proclaimed, that, that it is possible for somebody to go to church week after week after week after week and still not come to a personal saving faith in Jesus. And here is partly why I think that is. I think there's a lot of potential reasons, but partly why I think that is, is because there's potentially the mindset in some people that I am saved because I go to this church. And it becomes kind of almost this, this sense or the idea of institutional salvation. Much of the church, for a lot of its history, okay, has had in its mind that being a part of a church means I am saved. 
and has neglected, and this is just so obvious in Scripture. All you got to do is pick up your Bible and read one of the most famous chapters that are in the, the Scriptures. John chapter 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says in verse 7, he says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. It's interesting, he uses the word must. You must be born again to do what? See the kingdom of heaven. This institutional salvation thing doesn't exist. It's not real. It's not, it's not a possibility, okay? You have to individually be born again. The Holy Spirit has to come into your life, has to transform you and make you a new creation in Christ. You were born once. You might have been born into the church. You might have been born into a great church. You might have been born into a, a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church and still not personally receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and been born again. It's possible. It says, uh, the wind blows where, where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a, a spiritual transformation that happens. We're going to talk about how it happens. We're going to talk about some of the conditions that are, are necessary. One of them is that the gospel is proclaimed. Every single person here, I'm, I'm betting, okay, if I were a betting person, has heard the gospel before. And if you haven't heard it before, you're going to hear it today. That's one condition. There's another condition, which is that you have to respond to it. Who does the saving? Anybody know? God does. Who does the changing? Who does the transforming? Who does the re rebirthing? God does that. Gospel's preached. You hear it, respond to it. And God will do the rest. So there's one thing that's got to happen in between those two things, the gospel being preached and the rebirth, and that's your part. Nobody can do your part for you. Nobody can believe for you. Nobody can accept for you. Nobody can have faith for you. Nobody can repent for you. Nobody can do that. You, you have to do that. And all that exists between you today having absolute confidence in salvation or leaving this place still not knowing if you're, if you're going to heaven or hell. The only thing that stands in the way of that is whether or not you will listen and receive and respond. Because God will do his part. Amen? He promises that. He guarantees it. There's no doubt that God will do the saving. So, do I have your attention? You ready? All right. Let's stand and read God's word this morning. Acts 2, Pentecost. Everything Jesus came to uh, provide through his death, burial, resurrection points to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is the power to save, the power to transform, manifested on this earth, happened on this day like this 
Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we have hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And Lord, we, uh, we know what it means because we have the rest of the story. <laughs> we thank you for that. Your Holy Spirit was released on the earth for good, for blessing, for understanding, for salvation, for transformation. Lord, um, after a, a Sunday like this, a, a morning that we've already had, uh, Lord, we, we start to actually have some hope <laughs> And some, some joy, Lord, that you are still moving, that you're still changing lives, that you're still at work in our community, that you are doing great things, and that you still have great things in mind. And we start to point our hearts and our minds forward to the day that everything will be healed, everything will be transformed, it, the whole world and all creation will be restored, and every human being that knows Jesus Christ will begin to live in paradise, Lord. We, we long for that. And yet, Lord, you've called us to live in a, a world that still needs a lot of help. And, and we've been called to do our part in that, to be somehow transformed people in an, a world that is lost. Help us not to lose sight of it. Help us not to, to be in despair or even frustrated, Lord, even though there's a lot of dysfunction around us, Lord. Um, we know that you can, you can take any life, any family, any story, you can turn it around. Make it new. Make it a, a story of your redemption, Lord. And so we trust you in that, and we'll do what you've called us to do. I, I pray we would. Help us to do that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 2 is about a week after Acts chapter 1. Okay, you have Jesus ascending into heaven, um, and right away after he ascends into heaven, uh, the, uh, the church gets together um, they, they go ahead and they assign um, that final spot of the apostles to Mattathias. That they cast lots and Mattathias becomes that 12th disciple. So anytime in the New Testament after Acts chapter 1 where you hear them talk about the 12, 
they're not talking about Judas, they're talking about Mattathias, and they mean the 12 apostles, okay? So they've, they've called together uh, the, the church and they're meeting regularly. You just see that throughout this, chapters 1 and 2. They're meeting together daily because Jesus said, I'm going to heaven and you need to wait for power. They've already been given the Holy Spirit. The, the apostles have been breathed on by Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit as a deposit. They've been given a certain amount of power, but not the full expression of, of God's Holy Spirit yet. So they're waiting. They don't know what they're really waiting for, but they're gathered. And it says in uh, 115, it says about 120 people. And so in chapter 2, where it says they were all together in one place, we, we would assume that that's the only number that we have, so that's the number we're going with. It's probably this 120 people. They're gathered together. It's not very long after Jesus ascends. Like I said, about a week later. We know this because... Um, we know that Jesus, it says, spent 40 days with his disciples. We know when uh, Passover was, and uh, he was with his disciples for 40 days. And then we know when Pentecost was, because Pentecost means 50. It's the Feast of Weeks. It's a major festival, and it's exactly 50 days after Pentecost. So between the time Jesus rose from the dead to the time that he ascended was 40 days, and so we add a few days from the Passover, and so we know it's almost exactly a week later that Pentecost happens after Jesus ascended. Okay, you got all those details in your brain now? And all we're saying is that it's not very long that they're waiting. They're waiting. They don't know what they're waiting for. Something different. And what happens is, as they're gathered together in this room... Maybe people assume the upper room where they had had the Last Supper, they rented it out. Maybe they had a lease for a month and they still had it. Okay, I don't know. So they're waiting and the Holy Spirit begins to come upon them. Now, it says that it came like a mighty rushing wind, but it doesn't say that they felt it like a wind, like they weren't being tossed around by these hurricane forces. It was a sound like a wind, like it... it and this would be pretty startling in a way. You hear the sound of a tornado, but there's no movement of air. Okay? It's just this audible sense that something is happening, and then they start to see, so they hear, and then they see flames of fire, and they're on each one of their heads like, these, these, like they're glowing. And, and what that is, okay, all that is, is God manifesting himself presently, powerfully, visibly, audibly to the disciples because he is now in the world in a way that he's been promising, that the Old Testament prophets and saints have been longing for, looking for, praying for, hoping for. And finally, God says, now's the time. And he releases his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes upon the earth and the disciples, they, they, they have this experience. Now, I want to explain just express something to you really quickly in terms of practical issues. One is that um, you are alive because you have breath in your lungs. Do you know that? Okay. Um, I remember one time I went to the hospital to visit somebody. This was years ago. And uh, I, I went and I said, is so-and-so available? I'd like to, to talk to them. And the nurse, I just remember so clearly that she came from the nurse's desk and she walked up to me and she said, uh, room 205, bed A has expired. 
And I'm just like, it took me a minute to like, what are you saying? And, and I knew that that was a medical term and being very professional about this, this person has died. But the word expire, okay, what that means is that you have breathed your last. You, you've exhaled and no longer to ever inhale again. Okay, that's what expire literally means. You exhale. And this person has exhaled. I mean, if you've ever been uh, with a loved one uh, at their bedside when they pass away, that's what happens. They breathe out and they never breathe in again. It's very clear what's going on. Their life has gone. Their spirit has gone. In the Bible, in Hebrew and Greek, both, ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in Greek, the words are interchangeable with spirit, breath, and wind. All, and what it is is that when we were created, God made Adam out of the dust of the earth. He formed a body, made it flesh and blood, and it was still not alive. Remember what he had to do in order for this to become a living being? It's, it's really amazing. I mean, you think about what God's doing here. He stoops down and he breathes into Adam and he became a living being. And if you don't breathe for about three minutes, you're done. You're, without air, you cannot live. We are alive because of what in the Bible is called air or breath, but also refers to spirit. When a spirit leaves a body, you, you ever see a, a person who's passed away and their body is there and you're like, that's not so-and-so anymore. What made them who they are is gone. All they are is what's going to return to the dust. And Jesus says, that gives you a picture of something that you need to understand. God is going to remake in you that that thing that makes you alive, it's, it's temporary. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it permanent. I'm going to transform it for all eternity. That I'm going to put a new breath of fresh air in you. And you're going to become a new and living creature because of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit sounds like the wind, and then the presence of the Holy Spirit looked like fire. Because in the Old Testament... Uh, you see, God is represented by fire. Almost everywhere that, that you see fire, um, in a spiritual sense, it's always a representative of the, the presence of God. And the Bible says it this way. It says that um, our God is a consuming fire. It says that our God dwells in unapproachable light, that he, he somehow, he is light. And that fire of the presence of God is the sense of his... his uh, his presence, his, his glory, his love, his, his uh, care for you. And I just want to take a quick poll. Have you ever felt the presence of God? You ever felt it for a moment, for, for a, a, an event, for, for a, uh, a worship service, for uh, a prayer time? You've ever been in, in, in your deer stand and you're just seeing the sun come up and you're praying and it's like, man, God's just right here. You, you have these moments. And here's what I want to say is that in this moment, God was so powerfully manifested that they could not mistake what was going on, right? In our experience, the presence of God kind of, 
I don't want to say it comes and goes because God is always here with us, but the, our experience of it does kind of expand and contract. It kind of grows and kind of diminishes it. And what it is, in, in part, okay, not in total, but in part, is that fire needs two things to exist, right? One is air. What's the other one? It needs fuel. And in your life, in my life, I believe one of the things that we have the promise is that the, the, the air or the, the wind or the spirit, he, God says that, that he will be there. And if we don't sense the, the presence of God, I mean, some of that is because God is who he is and he's going to be where he's going to be and he's going to do what he's going to do and, and you don't control that to a degree. But we do control whether or not we put fuel on the fire. Right? What, what's the fuel that, that we're putting on or refusing to put on? There's a lot of things that we could say about what that is. The, the fuel that we're willing to put on that fire of God's presence. I'm going to talk about that more towards the end, okay? But I want you to be thinking about that. When's the last time I really felt the presence of God? What was going on? Where was I at in, in my own heart, my own life? What was going on around me? What did I see? What did I hear? What did I experience? Why was it happening? Is there something that I can do to put fuel on the fire of God's presence in my life. I do believe that there is. They had this divine moment when God poured himself out in their experience. And then here's what's crazy, okay? And this is just, this is mind-blowing to me because of what you don't see happening in the story. What happens is the Holy Spirit comes. They know it's the Holy Spirit. They know they're filled with power. He said, wait until you are filled with power, right? Then go be my witnesses, so they're waiting, power has come, and they go out to the temple, and they begin to preach, and, and what's not present is a bunch of miraculous events. Like, you would think, the power of the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on the earth in a new way that's never happened before, okay? People should be healed from diseases, like they're... they're um, disability should be just taken away, blindness gone, you know, deafness gone, any, any ailment, anybody, you know, who's, anybody have a little arthritis? Gone, you know, walkers, gone, canes, gone, everybody's just jumping up and down like, you know, some people who just died recently, they all come pop back to life, and I mean, you just imagine like if the Holy Spirit were just to be poured out in a, a central location, like all the miracles that should be happening there, there are oil jars just begin to fill up in front of their eyes and I mean you just imagine all this stuff should happen would you agree or is that just me being weird I mean I I just think that's God can do anything he's a creator and he's he wants to give life and restoration that no miracles happen except for one there's only one miracle that is recorded at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that was clear communication they, it says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're, I don't know what words they're trying to say, but it's all coming out in words that everybody can understand. And so what happens is not only 
do they hear this rushing wind, but everybody in the temple area, at least, and maybe all throughout Jerusalem, they all hear this rushing wind too. When they come out to see, why is there this sound, but there's no wind? Why is there this sound of a hurricane, but there's actually no air moving? And they hear the disciples, 120 people, talking in languages that they can understand. And there are people from all over the world, right? Because this is a major festival for the Jewish people. They're required to come to Jerusalem at different times. This is one of them. So God knows why he's picking certain times to do certain things. This was the reason, because there's going to be a lot of people there. And then when they get saved, 3,000 people are going to get saved that day. They're not all going to stay in Jerusalem. They're all going to go back to all their homes all over the world, now changed, filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed and knowing the gospel. But the only miracle is that they had a clear understanding of who Jesus was. They spoke, they understood. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be evident in, in two things, two ways. One is that people are going to be able to clearly communicate that Jesus is the Savior. Now, there have been many, many preachers, teachers, evangelists, Christian people who have, who have spoken the gospel, communicated the gospel clearly over the last 2,000 years, and still there are many, many people who have heard the gospel, not responded to it. Here's the other part of it, is that the Holy Spirit is present in people to hear, understand, and respond to the gospel. Amen? The Holy Spirit is working in a congregation this morning or any morning, then part of what's happening is not just that, you know, the pastor has a word from the Lord, but that the people have an understanding from the Lord. In fact, in my opinion, half the time, the words that are coming out of my mouth are broken and the Holy Spirit repairs them and then puts the right message into your ears. I cannot tell you how many times when I'm leaving a, a church service or people are leaving the church service, they tell me of something that, that I said that really touched their heart, and it wasn't something that I said, or at least it wasn't a point I was trying to make. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting that that's what the Lord was using to, to work on your heart. I mean, I have ideas of what I think you need to hear, and the Holy Spirit knows what you need to hear, and somehow he translates that into your ears. It's amazing. It's almost like, why prepare? <laughs> um, so here's the thing. These people, they come to a place where they hear the gospel, and it's not the gospel that you would expect. It's not the gospel that we hear all the time, necessarily. Because you would think that it would be Jesus loves you, um, God created you in his image, and he has a plan for your life, and he really wants to invite you to love him, and, and would you please just, just make a place in your heart for God in your life, and your life will be so much better, and you get to go to heaven. That's, that is part of the gospel. Would you agree? That's part of the gospel. But here's what Peter tells them. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. He was murdered by you, and you need to repent or else go to hell. Does that sound like the gospel? <laughs> I'm telling you that 
this is the part that, that we don't want to hear, but it's the part that people need to hear to get to the place where they're actually willing to respond to the Lord. Because here's the whole deal. If you, they, I'll just read it. It says here, brothers, what shall we do? After they heard this message, you killed the author of life. He came to save you, and you put him on a cross. He says, what, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, all and everyone. But the message isn't just, God loves you, please love him back. The message is, your sin separates you from God. And until you say, God, I'm a sinner and I need saving and I need forgiving, there's, there's nothing that's going to change where you're at with God. We, we skip over repentance because re the world does not want to hear. No, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, it's not just the world. Nobody wants to hear you messed up you made a mistake, you did something wrong, you thought something wrong, you said something wrong. Everybody wants to be just kind of gently, you know, coddled and made to feel good and encouraged. And, and whenever we say, do you know how I hate criticism? I hate it. I mean, every Sunday, and this is just me maybe talking out of school, every Sunday I want to hide. I do. I don't want to hear that I didn't say something right or I said something wrong or I should have said this or I messed up that or how, how come I went so long or <laughs> I, I don't want to, I, I'm, that's pride in me. That's my pride that can't handle being confronted with something I did wrong. And, and even though I have the Holy Spirit and I'm saved and, and I'm a Christian person, I still deal with that, and every person deals with a certain amount of that, some a lot, some maybe a lot less, but we all deal with this sense, like, I don't want to be told I'm wrong. Anybody love to hear they're wrong? And yet, this is what God has to do. He has to make us aware that we're wrong, not to beat us up over it, but in order to get us to a place where he can forgive us. Say, God, I'm I'm sorry. And as soon as you recognize that, that you are a sinner separated from God, as soon as you are willing to hear that message, because this is what the Holy Spirit does, he, he makes you aware that you're a sinner separated from God so that you can just say, God, I'm sorry. And as soon as you respond with, God, please, yes, I'm open, then he says, I'm here. We want to jump to the the blessing of the presence of God before we acknowledge what separates us from him in the first place. You, you agree? That's not just a condition of the world. It's a condition of every single human being, even after they're saved. It's why we struggle so much in our marriages. It's why we struggle so much with our kids and with our coworkers is because this little thing of pride still tries to rise up in us 
and keep us from acknowledging that I, I could possibly be wrong. And the Holy Spirit, his job, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is like next week's sermon. But the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, is to say, you're separate. You're, this is why you feel the way you do, why you feel guilty, why you feel bad, why you feel alone, why you feel depressed, why you feel like things are just messed up and they're not getting right. It's because God wants to fix it, but you've got to say it's wrong. Peter, he says, uh, he declares, he delivers a message that the miracle is that 3,000 people say, I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. How do we do that? And he doesn't say, well, you know, make sure that you uh, continue to beat yourself up and get everything right in your life and make sure you don't have any problems and then come back. This is what we do in the church. I mean, I'm going to apologize because I think this is how we oftentimes portray ourselves. Go get your life right, okay? Get things figured out. Make sure you get rid of the, the big bad sins in your life. Then come, start coming to church when you're kind of halfway there and things are kind of getting cleaned up. Then we'll kind of start dealing with you. That's not, that's not how it works, is it? It says, <laughs> just acknowledge that, that things are wrong. That's it. Then come. I mean, come first. <laughs> but... This is how it works. You just say, God, I'm sorry. And he'll start doing that work in you. And over time, through this process of truth being proclaimed, the Holy Spirit working in your life, church body loving and forgiving and, and respecting and honoring one another, working together, teaching each other, encouraging one another, sometimes rebuking each other, through that process, we begin to grow. We begin to get a little bit farther down the road. And no matter where you are, I mean, no matter how far along the road you think you are, there's still a long way to go. Amen? Sometimes I feel like I've, I've just taken a step in my own maturity. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I really mean that. Sometimes I feel like, how, how come I'm no farther along than I am? And it's just like, God's working. The things that are wrong in me, he continues to point out, and that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for it, even though it's a tough process. And I, I want to tell you that because some of you are just getting started in your relationship with God, and the danger is that you're going to give up before God really gets you down the road where he wants you to be because it is frustrating and it can be hard and there are things in your life that just seem like you're just barely holding on to and it's like how come this isn't fixed yet and it's like oh, you know I'm so frustrated with myself and this it's just a process you keep after it it gets better um, but it takes time and it and there's no guarantee I feel like I'm just kind of rambling at this point I'm sorry but the thing is, there's no guarantee, and I have to say this, that all your problems are going to be solved. You still might have a crappy marriage. I'm sorry. Sometimes that's not even your fault. 
Sometimes you're going to have problems at work. Sometimes you're going to have health issues. Sometimes you're going to struggle with sin and temptation. I, I, I wish I could tell you when you become a, a born-again Christian, everything just is different and life is great. What I can tell you is that your hope is great. Amen? And your life is better. It is better. Not perfect. So, let me wrap it up. <laughs> there are three things that I really hope and I pray that you will ask yourself. Okay, First of all, I'm, I know there are people here who've been in the church, like Drew, like myself, for years, come to church, heard sermons, etc., and they don't know the Lord. They may not even know that they're lost. I'm asking you today to really ask yourself, am I saved? And the answer to that question is not, am I perfect? Or do I do everything right? Or do I even feel saved? The answer to that question is, have I acknowledged my sin, repented, and asked Jesus to come into my life? If you have, the guarantee is, the guarantee from Scripture, okay, not my opinion, the guarantee from Scripture, if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. But you're not institutionally saved. You're not saved because you go to First Baptist Church or because you're part of any other church. You're saved because you have personally acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? I can't do that for you. You have to do that. Second question is, am I fueling the fire of God's presence in my life? Or am I refusing to put logs on the fire? You, you, I expect the presence of God, but I never pray and I don't read his word and I don't serve and I don't go to church, and I, but I just want to feel God's presence. I mean, we all want to feel God's presence, don't we? Here's one thing. I mean, we always talk about these you know, issues of disciplines, you know, Christian disciplines, but here's one thing. I really, I think we miss so much. It's the issue of obedience. You will fuel the fire of God's presence when you not only say yes to him the first time in salvation, but you continue to say yes to him. What his, what his will is, where he's leading you, what he's revealed to you. As, as you say yes to the Holy Spirit, as he convicts you of sin, and all these, I mean, you're going to see that the fire is going to burn brighter. So, question number two, am I fueling the fire of God's presence in my life? Okay? And... Number three, and this is something that um, I see it as such a, I don't know. Let me say it this way. This church is where it is. And, and this church is a blessing from God. I I'm amazed. I'm always amazed. I'm amazed that I'm part of it. <laughs> I think it's, it is where it is in spite of me. I mean, really. But this church is where it is because the people 
are the church. Let me say it this way. What we do on Sunday is half as important as what you do tomorrow. Or maybe less than that. It may be a, a tenth as important. You don't come to church here just because you were born and raised here and I'm just supposed to, okay? Most of the people that, that that's the case, they stopped coming here a long time ago. Or they died. You, you come to this church because somebody invited you and because somebody in your life said something that was happening in their life that God was doing, and then they said, yes, I go to First Baptist Church. People don't come to hear me. I, I acknowledge that every single day. They come in spite of that, <laughs> having to sit through, how long has it been now? I mean, I know you're looking at your watch, and I, this is one of the criticisms I run away from. <laughs> this is supposed to be a short sermon, too. It's like Baptism Sunday. The problem with having baptisms first is that, you know, I just got all day to say whatever. People don't come to listen to me. They, they probably come to listen to Josh. Um, I mean, I listen to some songs on the radio. I'm like, Josh sings that so much better. But they come because of you. And this is what I'm saying. People come to this church because of you. They come because they see what the reality of what God's doing in your life and the, the authenticity of how you know and love the Lord. They come because you're inviting them. They come because they see a difference in you. They come because this church is filled with people who love Jesus, really. And, and not, don't have perfect lives, but they, they really are people who know and love Jesus. And this church will continue to flourish as long as that's the case. Do I need to make sure I'm preaching the gospel? Absolutely. But this church stands or falls on your witness. It, it really does. This church will close its doors if, if you and I, each one of us, are not doing our part to just bear the, the image of Jesus wherever we go. That's what we do. And that's almost all that we do. We can have programs and stuff. And that's all great. We can have kids club and, and praise in the park and all the other fun things we do. It don't matter. If you, if you and I aren't bearing witness to Jesus in our lives, it doesn't matter. It won't work. This is where the church is real. When you leave this place, you live for Jesus. Amen? So the last question is, what is my mission? What's my mission? How am I living for the Lord wherever I go? Are people recognizing Jesus in me? That's it. We keep doing that. Man, I'll tell you what. We, we will have to build things. We, we need to now, but we're going to have to keep going. Amen? And I thank the Lord for that because even though some of these issues that we have are tough to try to figure out, man, I'd much have, rather have that problem than have to deal with an empty church. 
Father, we just, we praise you, Lord. We could keep going and going and going. Lord, I thank you that you are transforming lives. That's, that's all we care about. That's all we need to care about. You are transforming lives. You are saving people. You are baptizing people in your Holy Spirit. You are making them new creations, Lord. You are growing them up, Lord. And we have all kinds of things that we got to deal with, struggles we got to face, and disagreements we got to figure out, and all kinds of stuff that go on. And it just, it's so minuscule compared to the fact that you're growing your kingdom. That, that there are people that are going to be in heaven because of the witness of this group of people in Alito and Mercer County and all over the world. You're using us, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would grow in power, in presence, Lord, that you would have more of our hearts, that you would have more opportunities, and that we would just give you all the praise. Help us to get over whatever insecurities we have, whatever fears we may have, Lord, and just love living for you. We thank you that we can in Jesus' name. Amen. Just invite you this morning, um, the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, just acknowledge that. I mean, it's a, such a tremendous thing to know that God is moving in your life. If, he, if he's calling you to salvation, if he's calling you to a new mission, if he's calling you just to seek his presence, would you just come and kneel for a moment? Let it be known. Amen? Let's stand and sing.